Sports Professor Rick Harrow, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal-making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports professor Rick Harrow inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. And we are in the middle of the biggest couple of months in sports in the calendar year. Many, many sports, many, many championships. Let's look at the deal-making issues this week. Three to one. Three. Anheuser-Busch cuts their ties to the Washington Commanders. They're a key sponsor with the NFL, and they severed ties with the Commanders on Friday. No reason given, but Anheuser-Busch has sponsored the NFL for a decade and has also partnerships with 26 other teams. Said in a statement to the Washington Post, it decided not to renew its ties with Washington at this time comes as the NFL and Congress continue to investigate owner Dan Snyder after new allegations of sexual misconduct were made two months ago. Whether that played a factor in the beer company's decision remains unknown, but it's the third sponsor in the past year cutting ties with Washington. The other two based in Northern Virginia, Mediliminal, a medical review company, and Innova, a health care provider, cut its sponsorship short. They signed a 10-year agreement with the franchise in 2016, but ended in 2021. Their cancer facility, named for one of the Washington's former minority owners, Dwight C. Shar. He was embroiled in a bitter legal battle with Snyder and sold his shares to him. Two. How about number two? The SEC baseball umpires monitored by TrackMan. The radar will track pitches during SEC baseball games this season to evaluate the accuracy of ball and strike calls made by home plate umpires. The technology used during all conference games in the SEC tournament. The TrackMan device uses a 3D Doppler radar to measure ball flight data. MLB installed TrackMan at Atlantic League stadiums in 2019 for its first trial, and they replaced TrackMan's radar system with Hawkeye optical optical, uh, cameras for the electronic strike zone, calling balls and strikes in AAA games this season and used to challenge calls in low A. Pitch data from TrackMan will help the SEC train, evaluate, and improve performance of the conference's human umpires. TrackMan's ball tracking technology also used by college baseball programs to evaluate potential high school recruits through the company's partnership with Prep Baseball Report. One. Number one, also a baseball theme. Katie Griggs becoming the Seattle Mariners' new president. She's worked hard to get where she's at, the Major League Soccer Atlanta United president, and she became the only active female president in the MLB front office and the first in Mariners history. She's got critical, positive reviews and across all kinds of ownership. And what stood out the most, said John Stanton, the Mariners ownership group spokesman, her credentials, her intellect and long-term scope. Jerry DePoto, the team's president of baseball operations, has described her as one of the most forward-thinking people I've ever worked with. That's number one. Major League Baseball continues to hire in a positive way diversity in the context of executive offices as we go forward. Well, speaking of baseball, last week, remember, we had a historic culmination of a 99-day labor 
st- uh, stoppage, which will then get Major League Baseball back on track. Bob Dupay, the former uh, ex- chief ex- operating officer of Major League Baseball, and now a partner in the Foley and Lardner New York office, rejoining Foley as that partner in 2011. During his tenure at MLB, he served as the initial CEO of MLB Advanced Media and is chairman of the board from its inception through 2001 through 2010. First part of the interview we had last week, he focused on some broad challenges, positive and negative. The end of the day, Major League Baseball in 2020 had a problem with fans, didn't have many, if, if, if any, but the values of teams increased, according to Forbes, to an all-time high of $1.9 billion on average, 3% more than a year ago. Yankees, $5.7 billion, $5.25 billion, sorry, and other teams completely increasing their value. Bob Dupay gave a keynote presentation to the Sports Business Club of the Palm Beaches, joined by Palm Beach Club family owner uh, Pat Rooney. He's had significant experience in sports ownership, family being involved in the Pittsburgh Steelers, we know the name, and both of them a great pair as they played off each other to talk about the business of sports generally, baseball, football, and otherwise. Compelling, and here is most of the other part of the interview from the Sports Business Club of the Palm Beaches, Pat Rooney, Bob Dupay. Pat, first, as, a, as somebody who's been involved in, in, in ownership directly and indirectly of other sports. What is your perception of where baseball is today and what they need to do to improve? Well, I mean, I'm, you know, we were talking a little bit before uh, before we came down here, and, and I, I'm sort of agreeing, you know, Bob and I were talking about the, trying to appeal to newer fans, newer generation, which is what any any entity, forget sports, whatever you're in, if you're open to the public, you're, you're trying to appeal. We do it here at the track. How can we appeal to towards more younger people, you know, people with disposable income that, you know, might want to use their entertainment dollars here. But for something like baseball, for me, uh, growing up, and, and um, you know, it was it was a big part of my summer, which is, you know, which we all look back on, for the most part, finally, you're not in school, you're not really, you don't have a ton of responsibilities. So it was always great to, you know, have that association with baseball during those, you know, sort of halcyon days, if I can use that term. Um, when you were younger, uh, so I, I, I'm understanding and also cognizant of the need to feel like we have to speed the game up, we have to do certain things to change the game to appeal to people. But, but to me, the, the thing that is most appealing about baseball is its timelessness. It, it, it's the same. It, you know, if you want to get rid of the shift, just figure out a way to start not pulling the ball all the time. It, it, it should be on you as the hitter to, to try and work on not pulling the ball all the time. I, I don't like the designated hitter. I like the fact that pitchers have to bat because that it brings in a managerial uh, thought process as to, well, we got this pitcher coming up. He can't hit. He can't bunt. So we, we have to figure out strategically what to do with that. And, and if you just stick a designated hitter in there, then you don't have to worry about that. Um, you know, the, there are some things I, I, I think you can look at, like not allowing guys to step out of the batter's box every time to adjust 15 things that they're wearing. I think that would speed it up a little bit. But having a clock out there, to, 
which I still don't understand what that's supposed to do. What's the penalty if they go longer than the 15 seconds or whatever that they're supposed to pitch? But but I think the game, in essence, is is great. I don't really think you should change too much about it because the, the, the nature of the game is, is strategic. It's a thinking person's game. And I get it in the society that we're in now. Unfortunately, it's all about instant gratification and and not too much thinking and not too much research or, or why did they sub, you know why did they bat somebody instead of somebody else or, or bring this pitcher in uh, you know making a pitcher pitch to three guys or whatever the rule is I'm, I'm against all that I think if you want to have a guy throw one pitch to somebody that should be part of the strategy but um, you know I, I, I think there are issues as Bob mentioned with with the game and there are things that you can look at but in, in essence to me the game is great I, I, I think it's just a matter of getting you know guys on the same side so that we're playing number one and I don't care if the game takes five hours that's again part of summer you can leave in the sixth inning if it's too much it's generally one game out of 162 isn't going to decide everything and that's part of the beauty of it it's it's a rhythm of going to game going to game after game and you know, not almost not even caring what the outcome is until maybe you get to September. But um, yeah, I, I think the game's really good the way it is. But again, I'm 58 years old and probably not the, you know, probably not the, the graphic that they're, you know, that, that they're trying to appeal to at this point. Well, yes and no, and, and Bob needs to comment on this. But in many ways, uh, Pat's opinions are something that everybody needs to take seriously. He treasures the legacy of the game. But he also has some perspective on what is needed and is not needed to improve it for the next few generations. So, you know, give, give me some reaction. Well, first, Dodger fans do leave early every game, so they're, 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 they're used to that. Um, and, and frankly, I don't disagree with any of the things that Pat likes about baseball. But games have adapted and become better. You know, the NBA, the three-pointer, the three-point shot changed the NBA, and most people think for the better. I mean, Steph Curry uh, is a superstar and is recognized everywhere, and it's because of his ability to, to shoot the ball. Hockey uh, did a great job in terms of eliminating freezing the puck. You know, there were 10 face-offs a period where players froze the puck against the boards, and that's not, that doesn't happen anymore. Giving a point to the tying team before the overtime so they didn't try to protect that point was a spectacular change. The red line has been a good change. It has sped the game up. It has improved the game. Um, and, and, you know, the, 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 what football has done with protecting the quarterback and, and, you know, some of the rule changes, I think, have helped the game, but without changing the fundamental structure and integrity of the competition on the field. And that's the issue with baseball, and I, so I agree with you. You know, the, the, yes, it, 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 the, the, the shift, you know, you could beat by, by bunting, you know, to the other side, by slapping the ball, you know, to the other side. On the other hand, football requires, what, seven men on the line at, 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 at the snap. You could require two people on each side of second base, you know, when the pitch is thrown, and, and you'd see a lot more line drives in a right field going for base hits. But it, it's a, it is a challenge because people love the way the game is played, uh, and, and at the same time, you know, you don't want to lose, you know, uh, your core, your core fandom. What's the, what's the tension? You've been in the room. I mean, you defined the room. 
Well, what is the what's the trade-off on a regular kind of rulemaking basis between the owners worried about business issues, some of it driven by TV, and protecting the legacy of the game and making sure that changes don't change the fabric of the game that's played? Is is it something that is implicit? Is it something that's discussed all the time? Sure. I mean, safety and health are the first, right? I mean, and and, and so that that is sort of always up there and. You know, we faced it in, in uh, big time with the steroid challenge. I mean, we did not recognize the, the use, the predominant, not predominant, but the, the amount of usage of steroids that occurred. Uh, we honestly did not believe that, that bulking up, with, you know, we knew there were a couple players um, who were using steroids, but not for um, recovery and not for and and it, it was more prevalent, you know, than we had known because we thought it was for, you know, for, just keep out of the sports professional wrestlers, you know that that's who use steroids because they wanted to look, you know, like professional wrestlers, uh, and we didn't think it was a it was a huge issue in, in, in MLB, and it was, but eventually, you know, that, and that was bargained it required Congress to intervene. Uh, it was bargained for years, and we finally have a program that seems to, you know, have uh, have addressed the, the issue. The NFL, it was a ground-up issue. You know, I mean, a, 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 an offensive lineman, you know, was a, 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 against a, a defensive tackle two games a year, and, and and one year they're the same size, and the next year one of them was, you know, 30 pounds bigger, and 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 so it was a ground-up. We didn't have a ground-up issue. The players protected. The users, and so it, it required a, a top-down mandate and, and testing, and, and we got it done. But yeah, all of that is always there, and and there is always that that tension. And Mike Trout wants to be compared against, you know, Ted Williams and Sam Musial. He wants that recognition. And if you change the game fundamentally, you know, you're not going to have that ability to compare and contrast. All right, let, let's talk for a second about about baseball as it relates to here. I remember toiling in the in the uh, Miami Stadium uh, fields with uh, um, May Sonny Hirsch, rest in peace, and Ron Frazier and some of the folks who you know brought baseball to where it was and then Wayne Heisinger took it to the next step. We have a marvelous tradition of winning two World Series here when a lot of teams, parentheses Cleveland, haven't won anything and, and, and you know may not. And so uh, your sense as a, a South Floridian as well via Pittsburgh slash Philly, of, of how you think baseball has been supported in this community and, and uh, you know, what, uh, what we need to do to improve. Well, I mean, I, I, I've said this, you know, when, when baseball was, was finally going to come to South Florida, I thought it was a mistake going too, too much into Miami. Uh, even though the, the, the folks down there support the Heat um, and, and they somewhat support the Panthers, uh, baseball's a, a, a different game because again it's the summer a lot of people leave during the summer uh, and it, it's it's a I think it's a tougher sell because you have so many people that have ingrained loyalties to their teams up north that unlike hockey and basketball where maybe you can be like all right I'm gonna be a Heat fan and a Sixer fan or I'm gonna be a Panther fan and a Flyers fan it, baseball I, I think again because it goes back to a lot of our childhoods is once you pick your team that's that's kind of who you're with for a long time and and I think it's harder to switch. But, but I've always said that I thought the demographic and the money 
for, particularly for baseball, would have been much better if you would have centered the team somewhere along the Broward, Palm Beach County line rather than deep into Miami. You know, it's a, it's a different demographic down there in terms of disposable income in the summertime as versus, I, I think, and I'm just talking off the top of my head, I've done no real studies on this, but I think you have more people as evidenced by the, the uh, popularity of our spring training games that, that are, would probably be more disposed to going to baseball games on a regular basis if you had the stadium closer to that Palm Beach Broward line versus all the way down to Miami. You, you would still get the people from Miami to travel up and then you'd get the folks from Port St. Lucie to travel down. Right now, it's it even when they switched it just from pro player, whatever it's called now, to, to Miami, that's it. That was an additional like half hour, and the traffic is so much worse trying to get down there than it was to get to Dolphin Stadium, even though the stadium was terrible for baseball. That you know, I instead, and I always just go to myself. I, I instead of going to like ten games a year, I might go to two now, just because it's such a pain to get all the way down there. Now the bright line, you know, I've heard people that take that and take. There's a bus that takes you right out. It's very easy. So maybe that's something to look into, but. My whole thing with, with baseball in South Florida was they would have been much better off, in my opinion, having it at least in Broward and not having it in Dade. That way you're attracting, you could you know, you still call it the Miami Marlins, or at the time it was the Florida, but I think you would have attracted from the three counties versus just really trying to attract from one. And, and, you know, whether that's right or wrong, I don't know, but that's my thought on it. As the resident expert of failed South Florida facilities over the last 50 years, I named William. The issue of where it is and how it's funded and how it's located and what the market is has been an incredibly sensitive issue over time. But somebody who's been on the receiving end of all of those issues from Major League Baseball's perspective, independent of ownership, not we're not even talking about that, but what was your perception going through that process of stadium, market, development, you know, doing a good job, doing a better job, South Florida? Um, the, 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 the franchise has been a little bit unlucky, and, and then it's been aided in its unluckiness by errors. Um, it, the, um, you know, it, it is a very long, thin market. So I agree with Pat, to the extent you could have located the ballpark more centrally, you might have attracted from more of that long, thin line. Um, getting a roof was a big help in the sense that fans were going to drive an hour, an hour and a half, even two hours, know that the game is going to start at 7.05 and know that the game is going to end at midnight, uh, sometime after 7.05, but, but that it's not going to suffer you know, from rain delays. There were some locations that were looked at, uh, including some up north, but the funding wasn't there. And we also had some, I thought, decent other locations, but what happened was when uh, uh, Donna Shalala decided to move the U of M from the Orange Bowl back to Hard Rock, pro player, Joe Robbie, uh, whatever, um, uh, we, we were dead in the water. That, that Mayor Diaz got $50 million for a sports project at the Orange Bowl, and the Orange Bowl site then became the entire focus of both the city and the county, and, and that's why it, it ended up where it ended up. Um, I think it's a lovely facility. Uh, I, I, I really do. 
um, I wish that it was easier to get to, and, and I and I, you know, but again, the the, the, the franchise has been a little bit star-crossed. You know, they they um, won a world championship, and Wayne decided to dismantle the team immediately. Um, the, the the Marlins got their new stadium, and they spent a bunch of money. I mean, they ran the payroll way up. They brought in Burley, and they brought in two or three others, and they brought in Ozzie Guillen to manage the team. And with the Venezuelan population in, in Miami, everybody thought it was a great move. And then Ozzie decided to make some comments about, uh, about Fidel Castro. And that was it for him. Uh, and Burley had a terrible year. And Reyes, I think, Jose Reyes, I think, was also part of that group, right? And he had a terrible year. Uh, and um, so it was, uh, they have had, and then they lost, you know, their star pitcher uh, in, in the boating accident, who was charismatic and great in the community. Um, I, I think baseball can certainly succeed in Southeast Florida. I think it is a baseball community. And I think with the right ownership and the right, and they've had, obviously, an issue now, too, losing Derek Jeter, uh, you know, I, I think with the right ownership and, and with a competitive team uh, in, in the National East, they can, uh, they can succeed. Do you remember all of the discussions when you were still there and we were toiling in the early days to try to get your attention and Miami was the launching pad into Latin America and we took it seriously, so there was this discussion about games in Puerto Rico, which they did anyway, but then the Caribbean Baseball Series, which I remember we had a 200-foot net at the Orange Ball in left field because we wanted to make sure we could do that. And then there was the discussion about a team that could be located playing a few games in Santo Domingo, a few games in Caracas, a few games uh, in, uh, in, Santo, in, in, in San Juan before we realized that didn't work. And then there were a parallel process where I know Peter Angelo, for, Angelo's for one, was looking at opening up the Havana Corridor. A lot of discussions about reaching down to Latin America Will there ever be a team down there? Was there a right deployment of assets to make that a territory of the Marlin franchise, or where does that all? You know, what, what's your perspective on all that? I, I don't think there. I don't think there will be a team down there because the economics won't support 80 games at the kind of prices that are necessary to. to and, and I also think the union will balk uh, at, at 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 having a team. Uh, located there as well, but in, talk, in terms of the market, the Miami market, I mean, the best example is the World Baseball Classic. You know, we played a day game between Venezuela and the Dominican Republic that had 31,000 people there. That night, the Team United States played the Netherlands, and there were like 4,000 people there. You know, it was a night game, and no one showed up. The day game, we had 31,000 people there. I mean, there are there is a fan base, and there is a fan base that that I think will. Uh, Will in fact uh, will in fact support them. Um, you know, we, we we talked about Monterey as being a potential uh, site for the Montreal Expos, and even perhaps splitting a season with San Antonio, and then selling a broadcast contract all across Mexico as being you know, Mexico's team. But um, getting two stadiums built was just too hard. Well, both Pat and Bob certainly give you some perspective on their respective sports, but clearly focusing on baseball, baseball's opening day, April 7. Sports Tech Minute. Dean College extended their exclusive partnership with Kraft Sports and Entertainment, extended its existing exclusive academic partnership with Dean College for another 10 years. Two organizations began their partnership in 2009, extended it in 2015, to launch the Center for Business, Entertainment, and Sports Management. And since that time, 
Dean has seen a steady increase in enrollment with growth in programs such as business management, sports management, sports broadcasting, criminal justice, homeland security, biology, exercise science, and others. Clearly important for the future. Are you gambling minute? Mobile sports betting could be coming to Maine. It's advanced in the state legislature. Their Judiciary Committee advanced a bill which would allow the tribes to obtain statewide licenses to administer sports wagering. The bill went through the committee with an 8-6 vote and now faces the full legislature. The four tribes negotiated the bill with the Mills administration. Governor Janet Mills had previously vetoed a bill legalizing sports wagering in 2020, but it's a part of a larger effort to repair the relationship between the Native American nations and the state government since the federal Maine Indian Claims Settlement Act of 1890. Tribes have had access to federal legislation called the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. That's what oversees a lot of the tribal casinos you might see in other places. And because of the 1980 Settlement Act, we don't have access to federal legislation in Maine, but now there is opportunity to generate revenue and improve relationships at the same time. Finally, your good sports issues couldn't come at a better time. We hopefully continue to be emerging from the pandemic, but philanthropy continues to carry the day. Certainly the other side of sports. Push Save and the Babe Ruth League announced a three-year partnership they simplify the fundraising process for each participant by providing a dedicated campaign manager to set up and oversee each fundraising campaign. Best-in-class fundraising program serving thousands of sports teams and clubs nationwide, a win for them with the Babe Ruth partnership, and clearly a win for the Babe Ruth League with the ability to raise dollars. Dana White gives out a $50,000 bonus for every fighter that got a finish on this weekend's card in London. They're talking about bonuses and improving working conditions and clearly important for him and the future of the UFC. Katie Griggs making waves as an MLB president of the Mariners. We've talked about that this week as well. Private investigators determined that a drug kingpin targeted David Ortiz back in 2019 shooting in the DR, person held without bail in Puerto Rico on unrelated charges of conspiracy to import cocaine and heroin. Uh, with the idea of David Ortiz, such an incredibly philanthropic individual, justice should come and come quickly. University of Virginia swimming and diving repeated as the D1 national champions, finishing atop the standings by a margin of 145.5 points. When you think of sports at the college level, you just don't think of basketball and football, but you think of all competitive sports. And that's your Good Sports 5 for this week. We'd like to thank Bob Dupay and Pat Rooney for continuing our conversation about Major League Baseball as we go forward. I'd like to thank Nick Nielsen for helping put the show together this week and everybody else associated with it. We'd like to thank you all for watching and listening, and join us next week. Sports Professor Rick Haro, see you soon.